Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Empower Man Podcast. It's your boy, Mikey G, coming to you live from the free state of Florida. And this morning, as we are doing this on a Tuesday morning, I'm joined by two men. But first, I want to introduce the man. This man, other than our president, is referred to as the big guy. <laughs> he is the brand within the brand. He is the only man that turned down Burisma for a consulting position. He is the champion of the Second Amendment. <laughs> He's my boy and yours. Let's give it up for Mr. Greg A. Tadora the first. Sir, welcome. Happy Tuesday morning. Happy Tuesday. Thank you again for a wonderful intro. And I cannot be more pumped for our next guest. Yes. And uh, I cannot wait to introduce that next guest because I know he is a lifelong friend of yours. So we're going to give him the respect that he so rightly deserves and welcome him officially into the Power Man family. But before we do that, we want to do as we do every episode, give a shout out to our first responders, our men and women in blue and our men and women who are firefighters and protect our communities to keep us safe. God bless you all. And we love you. And as always, to all the military personnel, the families out there, stay safe. And thank you for the ultimate sacrifice for allowing us to have this platform of freedom of speech. So thank you and be careful. And also want to thank them for the freedom of choice because I have Pete's house blend in our Empower Man <laughs> official cup. So uh, our special guest is really in for it today because I am really amped up. Um, it's a tremendous honor to have our guest. So I'm going to introduce right now Greg's childhood friend. Um, he graduated from the University of Michigan with a bachelor's in political science and a minor in African-American studies. He got his master's in educational policy from Arizona State University. Uh, he was elected council member uh, in Tempe, Arizona. By the way, Greg, did you know that Tempe comes from the, uh, Tempe, the Vale of Tempe in Greece? I only know that because you told me it. I did my homework. Yes. Um, he was a council member from 2008 to 2016, was elected the first African-American mayor of Tempe, Arizona in 2020. Love it. Um, he is, he serves on various committees uh, for mayors throughout the country. He is up for re-election next year. Um, he has a lot of great stuff going on and I can't wait to get to know him better. Mr. Mayor of Tempe, Arizona, Corey Woods. Mr. Mayor, welcome to the Empower Man. Good morning, sir. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on. Really appreciate the opportunity. We thank you for your time, Corey. I mean, you and I go back. How old were we? Junior high school. Oh, my God. I mean, we probably go all the way back to, I would imagine, yeah, like seventh, eighth grade. And so it's been a but I mean, but we haven't talked in quite some time other than like exchanging some messages over social media. So this is yeah. the first time I've heard your voice and you've heard mine. For sure. So this is very exciting for me. It's awesome, man. I can't wait to dig in. And I just want to say I'm so proud of all the accomplishments that you've that you've done already in your short career, because I know you're going to have a lifelong career in this. And I know for the audience, you've always wanted to do this since the day I met you. So it's truly awesome to see that dream being fulfilled and lived every day by you. And it's <clears throat> just a, a testament to your work ethic. No, thank you. I mean, it's I, I tell people all the time because folks always ask, when did I first get interested in politics? And you know, uh, I would say probably fifth grade, Holy Family Middle School was the first <laughs> opportunity that I ever had to get involved in student government. And I just thought, oh, you know, fifth grade class representative sounds pretty cool to me. And 
I remember getting involved in that and it was like just sort of catching a bug. I just said, this is really, this is exciting to me. And I just kept doing it all the way through, uh, you know, high school and then, you know, a couple of years of college until I got into city council life here in Tempe, Arizona. So yeah, it's been something that's been a lifelong passion of mine. So I truly feel kind of honored and blessed every day to have this opportunity. Yeah, it's really cool to see it. It really is. That's awesome. Mr. Mayor, if you could give us a background on your childhood and growing up. Now, obviously, we know you and Greg have been lifelong friends and you guys played basketball together. And I'm willing to bet you're probably better than him. But Greg has a nasty shot. <laughs> Greg has a nasty shot and quite the extensive sneaker collection. So I, I, I met him after that. Well, I mean, so we all so we grew up in New Rochelle, New York. I moved to New Rochelle back in about, probably about fourth or fifth grade. And uh you know, went to Holy Family Middle School. Greg and I probably first met playing um, youth baseball together back yeah. probably okay. in seventh grade or so uh, before we actually went to school together. We didn't start going to school together until ninth grade at New Rochelle High School. And mm -hmm. he and I and a couple of other friends, we were pretty much together all the time. for that All the time. Period. I all mean, it was the time. constant. We were, I mean, you know, in the morning, in the afternoon, on lunch. weekends, holidays, lunch, everything. We were always together playing you know, baseball, basketball, and just frankly, just hanging out. So, I mean, you know, Greg, Greg truly is a, a lifelong friend and someone who I'm just so excited to see. And but we had a, we had a great time. I mean, it was just, you know, growing up in New Rochelle was fantastic. I mean, the city's grown a lot since, yeah. uh, you know, since I left. I mean, I left back in 1996 and I get a chance to probably go back at least every other year because I've still got a lot of family back out there in the New York area. So I'll go out for Christmas to visit people. We always make sure to drive by my old house where a lot of those basketball games took place that are still living on VHS and DVD players somewhere and uh, and, and, and cabinets and Greg at my homes. Yep. Uh, but, you know, but that's yeah, but that's a lot of what we did. I mean, we did we did we honestly did it all together. So it's uh, there's a lot of history there. Michael, appreciate this. I remember watching all the basketball games in your basement, Corey, and things got heated. Things were thrown, yelling, and your parents were awesome upstairs, just like laughing at us and really gave us the flexibility to do whatever and say whatever. But I was always a diehard Bull fan. Yeah. And Mr. Corey, Knicks all the way. Yes. Yes. That's I knew my you. I, I didn't. I saved that one, Corey. I didn't tell him you were a Knicks fan. I, I was definitely a diehard Knicks fan. The Patrick Ewing, John Starks, Charles Oakley days. I mean, those those were those are my guys. So uh, and yeah, Greg was always a diehard, you know, sort of Scotty Pippen, Michael Jordan, Horace Grant guy. So uh, and, and and so was Vinny as well. I mean, yeah. I was, it was yep. interesting that we were living in New York, but yet I felt outnumbered when it came to the NBA <laughs> stuff. But uh, we had a good time together. I mean, all, yeah, I mean, I mean, whether it was you know kind of Sega Genesis video games to actual basketball games yeah. out in my driveway or Vin's driveway, we had a, we had a great time together. Yeah, we were always active doing things, which I think uh, I think is lost nowadays. I, I mean, riding bikes and 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 playing sports and stuff. I don't see it as much around here. I'm in Connecticut, but um, I just don't see that active younger kids anymore like when we were growing up. Well, I mean, you know, we obviously grew up before there was anything called social media. Thank I mean, God. The fact of the matter is, you had to you had to be outside. You know, you know, I was here riding bikes. We used to fish in the reservoir by my house. We played ball in the driveway. We played, you know, like youth sports. I mean, so there wasn't Facebook and TikTok and all of these different things, Snapchat. So, I mean, I don't mind all of that stuff. And those are platforms that I use now. Mm -hmm. but, but I'm honestly very happy that I grew up during the time that I did because I had an opportunity to really 
you know, to learn all those other skills. I'm not saying the kids don't learn them now, but there definitely still is a lot more now of kind of people and not even just kids, but frankly, even adults being in the same room, just on devices, texting or showing each other videos. And it's like, it feels weird to me still. It's like, you're in the same room. You might as well have a conversation and actually talk to one another. You could be on a device later on, but, but I, but I'm glad I kind of grew up at a time before that was really a thing. Me too. But and you know and what? I, real quick, I just want to give a oh, shout sorry. out to sorry, Rochelle. Sorry. We're, I'm so grateful to have grown up there and, 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 and spent my whole life there. I'm very proud of that. I know you are as well. I think it's a great city and a lot of tremendous individuals come out of there. Uh, Corey's mm -hmm. one of them, obviously. So, <laughs> Well, no, I, I appreciate that. And no, New Rochelle's a, a fantastic community. And it's, it's interesting, too. I mean, the uh, gentleman who's mayor there now, Noam Bramson, was, had just gotten elected to the city council at the point that Greg and I were going off for college. And I actually did a small amount of volunteer work on his campaign. And um, when I got elected mayor and started back in July of 2020, I actually sent Mayor Bramson an email and told him, I said, I'm sure you probably don't remember me because I was 17 years old when I went off to Ann Arbor, Michigan, but I volunteered at your first run for the city council. He's been mayor for quite some time. And he actually wrote me back probably within about 15 to 30 minutes. And he just said, hey, you know, Corey, congratulations. Just part of New Rochelle's secret plan to take over the world. So, uh, <laughs> so you know, so very, very nice guy. And obviously so doing a great job. And that's why he's been mayor and a council member for so long back in New Rochelle. So definitely shout out to New Rochelle. Yes, sir. Well, Mayor Woods, you know, one thing growing up in that time frame is you could appreciate winning being a Knicks fan and then going through that drought. And now to see a resurgence, it's like I'm a Jet fan as well. Are you a Jet fan as well? Uh, I, definitely. Definitely. I was absolutely a Jet fan, um, you know, during the uh, during like the Vinny Testaverde days. And, uh, uh, Curtis so Martin. Keyshawn, Keyshawn Johnson, of course. Uh. I had Keyshawn's jersey. I remember you went, remember wearing it all through college. Uh, so uh, I had Keyshawn's book. I have, I think I still have it over here. So uh, it's not huge. It's, it's almost like you can't be both. You can't be a Giants and a Jets fan. You can't be a Yankees and a Mets fan. It's like you kind of got to pick one of the. You're a Rangers or an Islanders fan. So you, uh, so yeah, I was definitely as a kid. I was a, I was a, I was a Knicks fan. I was a Jets fan. I was a Rangers fan, and I was a Yankees fan. So. I mean, it's like we I got two out of four. Two out of four, I got. I'm halfway there. Okay, I, you know what? Greg, 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 give me your, give me your two. I, I got. I, I know it's definitely not Knicks, but give me your two. Yankees, I'm with you, and okay. Rangers all the way. Okay, all the way. got it, got it. Yeah. I think Mayor Woods read my bio because we have the same <laughs> team. We are right here, Mayor Woods. We are we are right here. Uh, so that's awesome, man. That, that's awesome. Um, what made you want to go to the University of Michigan? What was it about that school that was so appealing to you? So it was a couple of things. When I was a, when I was a kid, my dad, for a uh, two-year period of time, was the CEO of the Detroit Urban League. And so oh, I think wow. back between like 85 and 87 or something. I mean, he, I'm, it could be 86, 88. He would know much more so than me. He's 80, 84 years old, but he still has the most incredible memory for God things like him. that. So, I'm, so now I'm going to have to call him after this podcast and check just to make sure I've got my dates correct. God um, bless the Don. God exactly, bless the Don. Exactly. The last Don. That's right. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I talked to my uh, – but so, yeah, that, that's part of what it was. We, I lived in Michigan for a couple of years as a small child. But then when I was thinking about going back to college, and I applied to about six schools, and I asked my father for his advice, and he basically said, I think you should go somewhere, Corey, where you can get a good education, but where they'll also have a good sports program and then where you'll have a life. 
he said, because I think is you're an extrovert and you like talking to people. Is like you could go to like a Dartmouth or something of that nature. You've got the ability to do it, but it's kind of like in the middle of nowhere. From you know, from at least from his perspective, I didn't know where it was, but I mean, but I was just sort of taking his advice as my dad, and I was 17 years old. And he basically said, I just think the University of Michigan for you, Corey, will have a good balance of you can go get a good kind of world recognized education, but you can also get season football tickets and season basketball tickets. And it's a big enough school where you'll have an opportunity to make a lot of friends. And he was right. It was it was a great four year experience there. I think you came to visit me down in my college at FAU and it was a completely different world down there. I did. And um, I remember that was probably. Probably the summer of my sophomore or junior year. It was one of the two. Sophomore, and I, I remember it was great. I mean, I remember, we, you know, we went out to a bunch of restaurants and had a lot of great food. I, I remember playing basketball in, the, in those outdoor courts you took us to. Yep. And I remember, like, the blisters on my feet from playing, <laughs> like, on that, like, hot asphalt. I mean, we had shoes on, but still, yeah. I remember I was like, we all had them. But we, I guess we just kept... We just kept, we, we play. I mean, once again, this was before this was before TikTok and social media. We just we went out, we went out, we had lunch, we had dinner, and we yeah. played ball all day, and we just hung out and talked. Those are some good games, very competitive. So, oh yeah, awesome. I mean, even even though we weren't playing for any trophies or any medals, we were just playing just to we were just playing as friends. And yep. I remember, you know, you met a you met a number of you know of my my friend Matt, whatever I remember, who flew down with me from a. Uh, from Michigan, remember that was one of the rockiest plane rides I've ever had. I remember that was probably the worst <laughs> flight because we flew through some storms coming down to see you. So I was just really happy we touched down alive that day. So uh, that was a great trip. A lot of great memories from that. Yeah, for sure, man. So Mayor Woods, you graduated from the University of Michigan with your with your bachelor's in political science, understudying African American studies. Um, did you go right to Arizona State after you left Michigan for educational policy? Is that how you I, ended up in Arizona? I didn't actually. So, I, so interestingly enough, I graduated in like uh, end of April of 2000 and yep. I stuck around. I got a job working in the music industry for a company oh. that did sort of music distribution. Uh, it's no longer in existence. It was called Handelman Company and it was in, based in Troy, Michigan. And based on what we were doing, um, <laughs> I mean, they did a lot of stuff. They did everything from sales to marketing. And but my first role with the company was more or less being like a field serve, like a field sales rep. Like we would go to different cities and like stock the cds and like a kmart or a target oh, or a walmart man. and i never understood how that stuff worked until i got that job and um and then i also learned a lot about demographics about how in different parts of the state depending on who was there or what the populations were like you know what music was there were certain sections of, of town where like you know gospel music or hip-hop was mm. more popular then he would drive 30 40 minutes away and it was much more kind of like old school rock or country so i learned all about like oh that's how they stock these things this, this isn't just magic they actually know exactly what the demographics are in every part of the state or every region of the company and that's how you determine what cds are available in your particular kmart so i'm gonna interrupt because it just came to my memory this young man worked at blockbuster video I sure did. And I sure uh, did. We never paid, was, we never paid for candy. I know what was wild about that too. Um, because what that was, it was things that they would just give you. It was like if you worked there, you would get kind of discounts on certain things. And yeah, you can call it a like, discount. I call it the five finger <laughs> discount. <for you. laughs> 
Well, I'm just saying it's true. Like if you if you work there, like I worked there for several years, and I, and it was one of those things where it was like the little like the candy that was just like up front, especially like the stuff that was not like like the total like brand name stuff because they had they had like the real brand names of like a like the Twizzlers and the Reese's peanut butter cups and things, and then they had just sort of like the stuff that you it was like the impulse buy that was like right by the front. And if you wanted some of that, they were like, look, if we don't give this to you, it's just going to go stale anyway. So we might as well just, if you and Greg, whatever, you know, want some candy, like, hey, you guys take it. So, or, or hey, there's a put it bag all of popcorn. in the bag. But I mean, back in the day, I worked at, at, at Block, but yeah, but it's funny, though, like, when you think about it, this is when it's funny to think about age, because we actually are old enough now that we saw Blockbuster Video start and Blockbuster Video go out of business. It's like, it's so weird, like to think that that whole industry of like renting VHS movies and DVD movies, like I mean, it start. I remember the first time, Greg, that I drove down from my place, like at like Quaker Ridge and Weaver Street, and we drove down, and I remember seeing like the blockbuster lights, and I was like, whoa! Like before, all you had, you had like independent neighborhood yeah. Yeah. video rental places, yep. and I remember going down there, and I'm and I got a job there, and it was. But, but but yeah, but then all of a sudden, like, you know, I mean, over probably well over 10 years ago or so now, like things started going to first it was like Netflix where they would, ma- you know, they would mail you DVDs yep. and then it was like Redbox. And now everything's just pure streaming. I mean, there there is Crazy. no blockbuster anymore. So it's just funny to have to like explain that to like my interns who were like 20 and 21 <laughs> years old. Were like, what are you talking? You guys went to physical places to rent oh, videos? Yeah. I'm like, yes, we did. And we stole all the candy. And I remember <laughs> the khaki pants and the blue blockbuster shirt. I remember the outfit. I rem- I remember them well. I re- yeah, man. I remember I remember working late nights. They, they would close at midnight um, yeah. on weekends. And I remember sometimes trying to go home through snowstorms. And it was a pretty straight shot back to my house. But I mean, but I mean, it was still kind of treacherous. So I yeah. I remember it very very well. Oh yeah. <laughs> Wonder, That's interesting. What, Greg, do you know what that, I mean, you're in Connecticut. Do you know what that store is now? It's obviously not a blockbuster. I should know this because I've driven past it a million times. It is, I think it's a it's a furniture store now or something like okay. that. Yeah, okay. but that whole area was good memories. You had Homics right there. You had right. the blockbuster. And then do you remember Cook's right yeah. down the road? Yeah. That was like the hot date spot in like fifth, fourth, fifth grade, you know, yep. but uh, I, that's not I there anymore. Well. Yeah, man. I remember it well. And I, and I remember, you know, one of the things I remember they taught uh, at that blockbuster was interesting. It was sort of the uh, it was not just business, but it was also just sort of the value of common sense. And and, and one of the <laughs> things and, and it sounds like a, like a very strange point to make. But one of it was like you would get these uh, parents who would come in and they would come in on like, let's say, a Friday, a mom or a dad. And they would rent four videos or five videos every week and they would get like maybe two or three things for themselves and then two things for their kids, maybe a couple of Disney movies or, or just child movies. And, and, and so one of the things you were taught by the manager was like, let's say someone came in and there was a late charge for $2 on their account. The managers would tell you, look, if this person is a regular customer and they're contesting a charge, we don't want, want to lose $20 of weekly business over a $2 fee. Like just call the manager We'll probably come down and just wipe it out. Now, they would make a comment on the account. So if they saw that this was like a pattern, like yeah. every week you were like, hey, I thought I returned it before midnight. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, like now you're kind of running a scam. But their whole thing was like, if this person is clearly not trying to scam us, like 
you know, don't don't get into an argument as like a customer service representative with a person who's a loyal customer who's probably there like clockwork after work every day, every Friday at 5 p.m. So, so I learned a lot about, 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 about business and about customer service at that job. Yeah. And customer service is definitely lacking, I feel, in this uh, this day and age, you know, in certain respects. So yeah. uh, lessons well learned that we can take with us now as we are in this phase phase of our life, you know, I'll, I'll be blunt with you. A lot of the a lot of the the, work, the stuff that I probably learned, even a lot of the skills that I've learned, you know, in for politics were learned in my earlier years yeah. doing work like that. I mean, frankly, yeah. working as a, you know, as a customer service rep at Blockbuster, um, being a camp counselor at Iona College, uh, now Iona University. I mean, so that's crazy. Wild. crazy. I'm like, I'm like, what? I, went, I, I was, I was, cause I was there for Christmas over. I was like, well, it's Iowa University now. Like, I mean, they've certainly bought up a lot of property and expanded the place a lot. I so. think they just bought Concordia not too long ago, and now all really? Concordia is Iona now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, they, crazy. they bought up everything, like all like Canones and all that stuff, all the pizza shops we used to hit up. That's all like Iona property now. But uh, but um, but that, but I mean, all of that stuff. I mean, even when I waited tables after college for a six month period, like. That kind of customer service and, you know, you don't know who's coming into the restaurant that day or who's coming in to rent a video. And you have to constantly just sort of adapt to what that person's interest and their tastes and their personality is. And honestly, I think a lot of that helped me in politics because, you know, when you go door knocking or when people email you and it's sort of different requests and the request can be very, very different. Like it teaches you how to quickly adapt and how to quickly pivot to the to the sort of different changing needs of everyone that I come across. That's yeah, sure. true. So, so true, Mr. Mayor. Um, I want to get a little bit more into your, your current role and what you've been, what you've been doing. Um, so you get elected governor on July 2nd, 2020, and it's your first day in office. Mayor. What's mayor? Excuse me. Governor's next. Governor, I say, I say, governor. you gotta step your game up. All right, I work, I, I, the, the governor's gonna call me after this. Like, what did you say, Corey? I didn't say it. Mike said it. It wasn't me. Well, the, well, listen, any Nick and Jet fan, Yankee fan, Ranger fan, I got you, Mayor Woods, soon Cheers. to be Governor Woods, and this is why Greg and I work together because he always is there to remind me. So, yes, Mayor Woods. So, it's your first day in office. What is the first thing that you tackle? What's the first issue that you take care of? Um, we did a lot of work when I was first starting on public safety and on homelessness, actually. Those were the first, because those were probably the two most sort of pressing things that a lot of residents were bringing to us. So those were the two things that I worked on pretty instantly, uh, in office. And it was actually really interesting. I mean, on the public service side, we ended up kind of bringing the police department together with a lot of people in the community, a lot of longtime residents, a lot of folks who would never, would normally wouldn't take part in conversations at a city hall. And we, we tried to like, you know, figure out how we were all gonna collectively move forward together. I think it was a very successful process. And it, was, and, and it kind of exposed both sides to like people that maybe they normally wouldn't interact or interface with. So that was kind of cool. And, um, and, and then I'm thinking, and yeah, we had a really big challenge when I first started uh, with homelessness. I mean, that was a really, really big issue um, because, and a lot of it, I think, happened because of the pandemic. I mean, it's, so it's like, 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 so City Hall for me, there's a park right out in front of City Hall. Uh, it was called Sixth Street Park at the time. It's been since renamed. But basically, we had about 30 people or so who'd be you know, basically like tents and sleeping bags and just sort of generally out, you know, 
And and so like, but you also have like people who are living in apartments and condos and townhomes like directly adjacent. A lot of small business owners, and they would they came to me like right when I first started. It was like I was two weeks in, and they just said, "Look, Corey, we're very very compassionate, and we want to make sure that we can help people find shelter and get connected to services, but at the same time, like." You know, this is supposed to be a public park where where we can go outside and like walk the dog or take a take a business call in the morning. And like, that's not really possible anymore. So is there something you can do? And so we, you know, I pretty much kind of talked to our city manager at the time and our human services team and said, look, we, we, we can't we can't just leave people here at a public park. This isn't the humane thing to do. Let's find a way to actually either create more access to shelter in our city, partner with some of our local nonprofits or faith communities to find people the ability to, I mean, because I mean, you know, you, I'm sure you've seen all the stuff about the heat wave out here in Arizona. This was, this was the first, yesterday was the first day in almost a month that we weren't over 110 degrees. Yeah. I mean, so like being outside in the summer in Arizona can frankly be fatal, quite honestly. So I said, we got to find something to do, but sleeping in a public park in front of city hall or in another park or in the downtown, that's not helping someone. That's not frankly humane. It's having other impacts on the surrounding businesses and surrounding families. But frankly, we have an obligation to try to find a way to help these people kind of get back on their feet, find shelter and live healthy, productive lives. And so that was something I had to tackle pretty instantly just because of the magnitude of the challenge. When you first started, uh, how were these relationships going right out of the gate with like city commissioners or whoever you dealt with? Did you, because you're young, you were young. They might look at you like younger. And because I deal with this in, in my world, did you have to prove yourself? Did they have a chip on their shoulder or were they willing to just open the doors and listen and, and work together? They were willing to listen. And I think, and I, I credit a lot of that, I think, to being that, you know, I had been a city council member for eight years before. So even though I had taken a four year break in my public service career, they still knew me. Like it was sort of, hey, this guy, he, he was around. He had a proven track record of getting things done and wanting to be collaborative. And so I think when I came in, there was a perspective of, I mean, and honestly, that was a time, I mean, I mean, talking about a global pandemic. And so I, I think there was a time it's like, hey, if this guy really wants to step up and assume the mantle of leadership and he's got some ideas and he's willing to actually do the work himself, I, I think that really helped me. But I think a lot of it was the fact that I had that previous eight years and I'd still been involved in the community in a lot of very big ways. So even at the age of 41, at that point, I mean, I'm 44 now, but I wasn't coming into some kind of newbie, relatively young guy who were like, who is this guy and how did he get here? It's like, yeah, yeah we know, we know Corey. We kind of know what he's all about. Did, um, just piggybacking that when you were running, did you have to face any like dirty politics campaigns or any of the stuff that we see on TV where people like talk shit about somebody or try to dig up a previous story about stealing candy at uh, Blockbuster or anything like that? It's uh, it wasn't anything too crazy. I mean, the only thing I, you would hear like little whisper campaigns that would pop up um, that, you know, and I don't know where they, I, I mean, still to this day, I'm not going to accuse anyone because I don't know who did it, but you would hear certain like a couple of rumors kept permeating. So one of the one of them was that um, one of the rumors was that I was going to take a golf course in the southern a public golf course in the southern portion of our city. And I was going to, no, no, it wasn't that, it was a, it was a, it was, yeah, it was either a public golf course, one of the private golf courses. And I was just going to turn that into like a homeless shelter slash encampment. And I was like, and I had never talked about this ever. Like I had never brought this up and I'm, and I was always at 
neighborhood events and in debates, like talking about public policy. But it's like playing telephone as a kid, like someone says something to someone and then yeah. they say it and then someone else says it. So there were like probably two or three different house parties that I got to for my campaign where someone brought that up in the middle of like a Q&A session and said, hey, like, is there any truth to the rumor that you're going to do this? And I'm like, I don't know where this keeps coming up. But I, but I think it was being started because it was someone who didn't like me, and it was sort of this, hey, if we can convince these people that he's going to turn this fully functioning golf course into something that they might find less desirable, maybe we shouldn't vote with this guy because his ideas are too radical yeah. and way too far out of the mainstream, even though I have never said that and never suggested it in any way, shape, or form. So, so I mean, but that was like the extent of like the like the dirty politics that happened in my race. I've I've seen some I've seen some things, but I've been very lucky at this point that most of them have not happened to me directly. All right, cool. I was I always wondered that like it's to be expected if you're going to run, correct? To at least a certain degree. Yeah, you have to you have to kind of expect it and plan for it. I mean, you have to understand that you know if if, if there's something that you've done in the past um, that it's that that someone's going to probably dig it up and find it and use it against you. And if they can't dig up something and use it against you, they'll just make it up. See, Mike, um, we know. got nothing to worry about, Mike. We're good. We're good. I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I mean, <laughs> I mean, honestly, look, I read stuff about me on Facebook all the time. I mean, I mean, just talking about things that are just purely made up. Um, there was, there was a uh, situation last year where we were trying to, the council was trying to bring the Arizona Coyotes hockey team to the city of Tempe. It actually failed at a public referendum. So there were three questions. All three were voted down by residents. But in the middle of this, because it got so hot and so contentious, there were people who were saying there was a, it was a woman who wrote on social media at one point uh, who accused me of like taking bribes and said, like, you know, I, I you know, I want to see the mayor's bank account and his wife's bank account. And I'm like, I'm not even married. Like, what are you talking about? Like, where do you come up with this stuff? Like, like, don't you have something better to do than sit around, like, making up stories about me and my imaginary spouse? Like, it, 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 it's just like, you know, it's, it's like, you want to come check my, I mean, I mean, I live in a one bedroom, one bathroom apartment. I, I mean, if I'm corrupt, I'm doing a very poor job. <laughs> so it's, just, it's just like, but you have people who just like, they either want to make stuff up or they're just being just like nasty for whatever mm -hmm. reason. And it's just like, don't, it's, it's like, like, let's, let's debate the, let's debate the public policy. Let's debate the facts, but just stop, stop making stuff up though. It's just childish. I know Mike I has agree. a lot of questions. My last question on this, no. how do you keep a cool head when you do read something that's false? Um, sometimes <laughs> I have to, uh, either, you know, a lot of times I actually use my friends as like to calm me down. Like I'll call, like in this situation, I'll call my campaign manager or I'll call another friend and just say, you know, and I'll read like some tweet that someone put out about me. If that's what we're still calling them. I don't know what, what we're calling them these days. Uh, they say it's called X now, but it's, but they're still tweets. I can't figure it out. But um, but 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 yeah, I I'll call people and I'll just use those people to to vent or sort of like a sounding board to be like this this person said this about me or do you want to hear this and and that many times helps me to just get it off my chest or deal with whatever I'm feeling deep down, but without getting into some kind of like Twitter Facebook 
battle with these people going because like i can't you can't really win them in my shoes and part of why you yeah. can't win most i mean you can win every now and then a lot sometimes you if someone's saying something that's objectively false i will get online even if it's not about me maybe it's about a piece of city policy or an ordinance and i'll be like that's not true. Here's what's really going on. Like, if you can check this, and I'll post a link on the city's website. Just so like, don't take my word for it. Go check it out. There's, I, I've got, I got, I got receipts. But I mean, I mean, but, but, but sometimes like you can't win because people can be, and as a public figure, people can be a lot more aggressive with you than you can be with them in That's return. Right. Now, now, I'm not saying that there's some politicians that don't like, you know, that don't buck that a little bit. There's some people who have, who have you know, who, who've begun to be just as aggressive, if not more. But most of us, it's more difficult because like you're not playing under the same ground rules. It's like people can come and like kind of like verbally slap you around on Facebook and you have to kind of take it and be like, and be and be gracious. Meanwhile, I mean, we're human beings like everyone else. Like, I mean, I want to come back right at them and be like, what did you say about me? You know, like, you know, but but you have to kind of like, Say, you know, hey, I understand your frustration and you try to like channel it into something positive, but but it's hard. And 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 honestly, I wish people would take note of everyone's common humanity. It's like you may agree with my politics, you may not agree with my politics, but we're all people. We're all just trying to do what we think is right. And if you start with that premise, it probably will help to diffuse a lot of the anger that you're feeling deep down inside. And if I can leave with any one message, I mean, that's something I really would like to get across to the people watching this podcast and to the people that, you know, that I see all the time. I couldn't have said that any better, Mr. Mayor, because Greg and I, when we started this platform, especially now with the elections coming up next year, you're up for re-election. We have arguably one of the biggest, if not the biggest election in our nation's history upcoming. And we want to provide a platform for everyone because like you said, you're a human being, right? The three of us, we're all, we're all New Yorkers. We're all human beings. It doesn't matter what our differences are. That's what makes this world great, right? If we all thought the same, everybody would be so boring. And, you know, we, we, we want to be at the forefront of leading that charge in humanity and showing love and compassion to each other. You know, when people looked at us, they're like, you guys show love and compassion to people. You know, they're like, you, really, you too? And like, yeah, it starts with us, right? And having you on here is not only a tremendous honor and privilege for myself and for Greg, but it just gives us an idea of different viewpoints so yeah. that we can make the best decisions and the best choices upcoming for our future and our families, you know? So I, I, I couldn't have said that any better, Mr. Mayor, and I really appreciate you saying that. So thank you. I know. I, I appreciate it. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I too, I mean, one of the beautiful things about being in city government, at least in Arizona, we, we have 91 cities and towns in Arizona. Only one has actual, actual partisan elections. And, and, and we all run just like as people. I mean, if you look at the ballot, if you see my neighbor, it'll just say Corey Woods. Like nothing else attached to it. And it's funny, actually, because there are some people who don't get that and they'll start calling you in the last two weeks of the election and being like, why are you guys trying to hide your party affiliation? And I'm like, no one's trying to hide anything like that's the way the elections are. And and so but I mean, but I but I've got friends from all over the political spectrum. I mean, one of my one of my uh, closest friends, uh, a, a former council member, Ani Shakurjian. Uh, is a lifelong conservative Republican. I've been a lifelong Democrat. We shared an office for six years uh, and we learned a lot from one another. We had breakfast last Thursday. We okay. talk all, we talk all the time and, and I bounce things off of her because she has a perspective that I might not have on something. And so she can sometimes catch 
an area where I might have a blind spot and I might say, hey, I think this is a good idea. And she'll say, I know what you're trying to say, but if you talk to people, you know, with my political affiliation, even as well-intentioned as it might be, they're going to hear this and it's going to send them over here. So you might just want to slightly change this. And then I've got friends on the other side. I mean, so I've got friends, I mean, Democrats, Republicans, independents, libertarians. I've got friends from all over the political spectrum. But frankly, I feel like that's helped me as an elected official because I, 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 I don't get too far in one camp or another. I just try to just serve the people of the city, which is nearly 200,000 residents. And, and that's the way it should be. You I know, it's it. like, I think, you know, because you think one way you're automatically labeled oh this person's that person this person's that person not like hey let's 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 work together and and that's the thing i lived in washington dc for about seven years and you know you could see the really good in people and then you could see the not so good in people and, and, right. you know, <laughs> and so you know like uh and it's and when people work together for the common good as as a as a voter and as a US citizen that's what we we vote for and that's really the american way when it doesn't matter what background you come from but we all work together to serve serve the people and you know what's going on right now can be kind of challenged and questionable about who the people that we're voting for uh who they're serving and and having you on here is great because you know i i i left the democratic party i was a democrat for a, a long time and I was able to see certain things and I left because I want to be able to make, I don't want to any affiliation to anyone. I want to make the best choice that, that I can make. Mm -hmm. um, and when, you know, talking to you, if I'm a, a, a resident of Tempe, you know, when I put together um, my presentation and, and questions for you today, um, you know, I really want to understand more about your policies and your thought processes. Um, and you ran on um, police reform, affordable housing, Historic preservation of old buildings, responsible economic development, and social services. Is that pretty much your your platform as mayor? Yeah, there were some yeah, some things. I mean, I mean the um yeah, I mean, I would say, yeah, I would say that's basically accurate. I mean, I, I ran a lot on, you know, like I mean this, so I think the big things that I ran on during the campaign were like affordable housing and kind of uh, economic development, transportation. Um, you know, the affordable housing thing was primarily just because, and, I, and I'm still working on that now because housing prices, where the rents, mortgages are just skyrocketing. Huge. And I'm just finding that a lot of our, you know, teachers and, you know, bartenders, you know, folks, you know, first responders can't afford to live in this community anymore. So, so one of my big things is trying to find ways to make sure that, you know, our police officers, our firefighters, our teachers, people waiting tables or, you know, uh, or housekeepers working at, a, at some of the hotels in downtown, that they can still afford to call this community their home as well. You know, the homelessness thing I know I talked about a lot earlier. Um, the police thing was the, what, 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 interesting with that. So I had a public safety advisory task force. That was sort of interesting because of the time we were living in, too. We were kind of coming away from, you know, from, you know, the from the George Floyd death. And there was a lot of unrest going on in the country. So it wasn't something that I campaigned on during the actual campaign. But when I started in July of 2020, it was being discussed. Yeah. And so I said, you know, yeah. like, why don't we actually find a way to have a conversation about this and bring a multitude of different voices to the table to have this conversation, um, and 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 in a way where we're not shouting at one another. Yes. And 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 I, and I appreciate. I mean, I mean, we had everyone from you know, our, I mean, people who were activists who were you know involved in kind of marches during that time, to our police chief, to our police union president, to just residents. And 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 I thought that was really helpful because I mean, frankly, it, it also 
it also created an opportunity for, I mean, one of the things that happens nowadays is that we get people who sometimes, I think especially because of how cable news works and how social media works, people sometimes just sort of hang out with people who only agree with them. And, and then they just start believing that they're right about everything because it's like, well, all my friends say I'm right. It's like, yeah, because you've kicked everyone out of your friend group <laughs> right. who doesn't agree with you. It's well, just a giant echo chamber. That's all it is. That's yeah, right. you have a self-selected friend group. And like, so yes, you get people to tell you you're awesome all the time. Like that must be fantastic. <laughs> I don't um, have that problem, Corey. I don't have that problem either. <laughs> I mean, you, you check my Facebook account. You'll find I don't have that problem at all. People tell me where I'm coming up short every day. <laughs> Um, but, but, but I thought that was a really good opportunity with that group to say, hey, let's talk about public policy and what we can do from a public safety standpoint to make sure that everyone feels as if they're being served equally across the board. But frankly, let's make everyone sit in the same room together and let's have this conversation. And, and it was a hard discussion to have, especially because during that time, we weren't having any in-person meetings. So you're having a very difficult conversation at a very interesting time in our country's history over Zoom. That's hard. But honestly, it That's was hard. very hard. But but we did it, but it was done very effectively. And I and a, and a big shout out to our 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 our, our new city manager, Rosa Nchowski, who at that point, she was the person who led those conversations. She was running our strategic management department, and she ended up becoming our city manager about roughly a month ago or so. So she's just done a phenomenal job and she thrust herself into a very difficult subject. But I but honestly, we were held up as like an icon in in this sort of this sort of region for saying you guys found a way to do something and have a very tough conversation with people who had very, very different opinions and perspectives, but it never broke down. And you actually got some very meaningful policies out of it that everyone pretty much signed off on and said, yeah, we, we think we can do this together. So that's awesome. And that's what it is. It's just bringing everybody to just getting to the table first and then having that healthy dialogue. And I want to just expand a little bit more into the police reform that or the discussions you've had mm -hmm. um, and the policies you've instituted. Um, I see that, you know, then doing my research that the crime rates in Tempe tend to be a little little high um you know what what have you done over the last two to three years to kind of lower that lower that number I I know you had instituted a policy in July of 2022 about sending you know licensed um, psych psychological workers from social workers into nonviolent crimes um I'm probably going to go off a little bit on a tangent so I apologize in advance what is what in your eyes is a nonviolent crime and do you think those nonviolent crimes could get escalated and, and how do you protect those that are going into those situations? So a lot of that was probably initially kind of pertaining to uh, homelessness. And, okay. and and so so basically what was happening was a lot of that came from actually not the people in our human services division, but from our officers who were talking to me and they were basically saying, look, we're not, you know, we can do this stuff, but we're, our specific training is in just, you know, to protect and serve. We're here for like violent offenses, you know, robberies, you know, muggings, uh, you know, the sexual assault. I mean, that that's the stuff that we work on. And these situations like where we're so we're getting calls from like people are calling 911 because they come in in the morning and there might be someone who's, you know, doesn't who's unhoused, who's sleeping in front of their business. And their right. whole thing is like, that's not this is not a violent crime. This person isn't of any danger to anyone, but they're calling 911, which is frankly like detouring resources for something that you know that might be a violent crime where we yeah. need to be. So they were initially the ones that kind of came to me and said, we'd like to find a way to kind of like, you know, get the right services to the right people. And they're like, if, if it's someone just sleeping 
you know, on, on a park bench or in front of a business or on a sidewalk. Let's see if we could find a way to get a human services worker or someone who works in mental health to go out and help that person get up. Now, now for like things like, you know, maybe a domestic violence call, that's a situation where they have to kind of partner because those situations obviously can escalate very quickly. So you can't maybe just send in a person who's a social worker or a counselor because if something's happening and people are getting physical with one another, you've got to have a police officer there to make sure that they can manage that situation sure, effectively. Sure. But honestly, the interesting part about all of that was that that actually started because it was a lot of our officers who just said, we've really got to get people to stop calling 911 for calls that aren't truly emergencies. We need to get them to be they're called the non-emergency, you know, uh, 911, non-emergency PD number, or we need to get them to frankly call another number or send an email somewhere else so they get a human services person and they don't get us so we can actually be out there actually fighting crime. Makes um, sense. The other thing I would say, too, on that front is that one of the challenges from an, from an officer standpoint, too, is that um, it's becoming harder and harder to get people into the profession of law enforcement. That was my next and, and, and so that's been an issue. I remember talking to my previous chief about that, who was just actually just yesterday confirmed as the new uh, director of the Arizona Department of Public Safety, which is pretty awesome. Uh, so Congrats, I that's give awesome. A shout out to, to Colonel Glover, who's a close personal friend of mine. Well, that's awesome. um, he, good, good man. So. But yeah, I mean, one of the things he, he said was, you know, we're having a hard time getting people into the profession now. So even if you like gave us, if the council funded 30 new positions, we don't have enough people coming through the academy right now. So we have to find a way to probably raise a lot of these salaries or offer additional benefits to get more people into law enforcement now. Because he said that's been one of the problems is like we're just we're just seeing a lot of people go. I just don't want to do it anymore. I, I'm not getting paid what I think I should be paid. The job is dangerous. And if I don't feel like I'm getting, you know, I'm getting the respect I deserve, then why would I want to do it? So there's going to have to be, I think, kind of a fundamental relooking at the profession to try to find ways to, to, to kind of entice more, you know, good men and women to say, hey, I really want these jobs because we absolutely need good police officers on our streets helping us out. We've got a lot of We've got exceptional police officers here in the Tempe Police Department, so I, I, I can't say enough good things about the work that they do. And we get a lot of very positive comments from the residents of the city of Tempe with the responsiveness and the professionalism of our, of our rank and file officers. So my, my, my hat's off to them. Amen. A amen. Um, do you feel like the police officers in Tempe have, you know, in your, in your, in your city, do they have the tools they need to be successful? Because you see a lot of, uh, you know, different cities throughout the country that are being handcuffed. Uh, or it could be conjured that way, HBCNT, that that they're being kind of like restricted in certain ways to of doing their job. And you see a lot of these cities like San Francisco, New York, and Philadelphia, where the where the a lot of the crime and is is fairly fairly high. You know, what are you doing in the city of Tempe to give these officers everything they need to be successful and protect the people of your city? I think that you have to make sure when the funding requests are coming in, you know, and for equipment, I mean, whether, you know, it's new you know, cars or just, I mean, we have a lot of funding requests that'll come in and, and it's, it's making sure that those get approved. And there hasn't been any issue, you know, with our current council of approving requests that are coming in if the chief's making that request. I think another thing, though, though that's sort of tangentially related is also... Uh, you know, showing your support for not only, yes, you know, yes. the our police officers, but in all of our city employees. I try, you know, I was having a conversation with some of the uh, members of our PD the other day, and they were saying they really are, they're trying to set up a system where I basically will go in, 
uh, I think it's at least once a month or every four to six weeks and just stop by, you know, either the main station or one of the substations. And it's and, and because they'll say, Corey, they just get a huge lift out of seeing the mayor stop by that there's nothing wrong. There's no business. You're not asking for anything. You're not there for a photo op. You're just there, to, you know, just to shake some hands and say, hey, I'm here for you. If you need something, call me. Um, and, and, and so that's actually going to start. I had a meeting with our, our union rep just last week. We were out together for happy hour and he said, Hey, you know, I'm going to just call your assistant and start setting this up. So there'd be a kind of a regular cadence to you, you know, just sort of getting in front of the men and women of the Tempe police department, just to say, thank you for your service. And just so they see you as just not just the mayor, but as a person who genuinely cares about their health and safety. And, and I try to do that for a lot of our different departments. I mean, our folks working in the sanitation department and public works. I mean, these are, you know, men and women who are getting up at the crack of dawn to go out and make sure that people's, that the trash is picked up. And they, I mean, I try to, I'll show up at 5.30, 5.45 in the morning just to say hi, or if they're having a barbecue, just say, hey, I want to be there. If our firefighters are having a barbecue in one of our local parks, I try to go down there and just shake some hands and just say, hey guys, you know, thanks for your service. I'm going to hang out, eat a couple of burgers with you. Just, but just, you know, more or less make sure you know me as a person. I'm not just this guy sitting up in an office somewhere, but I'm a person who knows you directly and absolutely cares about your well-being. That's that's beautiful to hear because you see what it looks like, again, depending on where you get your information from, it's like this battle between some elected officials and the police. And you see a lot of the, obviously the defund the police movement was very you know prominent you know, during the pandemic, the, that challenging time in our, in our his, nation's history when you had taken office. So you had a lot on your plate and plus you had the social strife and everybody against each other. And, you know, while going through the stats, it looks like you were able to guide Tempe out of that, those challenging times. Now tourism's back. It looks like, um, you know, with, with unemployment rates, which we'll get to in, in a sec. So I have some questions about that. You've been able to really, you know, steer the ship in, in the right way. So I really commend you uh, on that. Um, affordable housing. So mm -hmm. Greg, Greggy T knows that I am quite the researchist, if that's the right word. So <laughs> I have- I, I, I like it. Researchist. <laughs> I have, Mayor Woods, your uh, transcripts from when you appeared before- Oh my gosh. The Senate committee, I'm telling you, I'm a bad man. You really I'm a are. bad man. You found that. Mayor okay. Woods, Mayor Woods, I'm telling you, I'm no joke, Mayor Woods. You know, um, and this was really awesome, by the way. You know, I read it and it was like, this is really cool, you know, and um, as a taxpayer and as Greggy T is too, uh, both on payment plans, by the way, with interest. Um, we know the Build Back Better plan was, um, you know, was what it was and is what it is. Um, and you were seeking money for a lot of the infrastructure challenges that you have because Tempe is growing, right? It's the ninth. Uh, fastest growing city, I believe, in Arizona, uh, right? 134th, I had mentioned um, earlier in your introduction, in, in the country. So you have a lot of challenges that you didn't have three years ago. Have you been able to receive any personal benefit from the Build Back Better plan that we've been pouring our tax dollars into to help your city? So there's been, uh, you know, one of uh, my congressman in my district, uh, Greg Stanton, who's a uh, former mayor of the city of Phoenix, has been phenomenal at helping us secure funds for a whole host of things. I mean, he's found ways to get us money uh, for, to uh, promote additional affordable housing. He got us a $37.5 million authorization to reopen a water reclamation plant that had been basically in mothballs for over a decade. 
Um, so he's been, you know, kind of my primary conduit to a lot of the federal funds that would be through the Build Back Better plan or just through the federal government in general. And I think it's because he obviously, see, because he was a mayor for seven years and a council member before that, he kind of knows what mayors deal with in these roles, that we are basically held responsible by our constituents for almost everything. And, and, and so I think he understands that, hey, like, if I can get this money into the hands of mayors and city councils and make sure that it's not just sort of getting hung up in limbo, but put it in the hands of an actual mayor, they will find ways to use that money because they're interacting with residents at the drugstore, at the grocery store, just walking down the street each and every day. So he has been, so Representative Stanton has frankly been a, a huge help in accessing a lot of those funds that we've used from everything to alleviate homelessness, you know, create more affordable housing and open and reopen that water plant. I mean, frankly, he's, he's without him, we could not have done a lot of that really great work. That's awesome. Greg, do you have anything to add? Because we're only on, I'm, I'm not even through page one yet. I know. <laughs> only kidding. Know. Only kidding, Mary Woods. Oh, no, I, I got some things fault. at the end. It's all good. Keep them firing, Mike. Only kidding. Uh, no, that's really great, Mayor Woods, that, that you're able to see that because, you know, as a taxpayer, we don't see where the money goes. Yeah. We just see what is going on in the world. And it's, you know, it makes you like wonder, like, hmm. Like some things just don't add up. So I really appreciate your transparency, Mayor Woods. I thank you. Um, uh, the preservation of old buildings, you know, living in Washington, D.C., a lot of great architecture. Uh, yes. All of us being from New York, I'm from Poughkeepsie and Beacon. And a lot of these old buildings they've been able to take and turn into beautiful like condos and townhomes. Um, give us an update on how you've been able to preserve some of these old buildings and how it's benefiting your economy. So I'm really glad you you threw in that last part, too, because, I mean, frankly, historic preservation can be not just about saving old buildings, but it can be an economic development uh, boon for your city. And, you know, one of the things we're working on, the old, well, there's two really um, iconic structures in the city of Tempe that everyone sort of knows. One is the uh, Hayden Flower Mill, which is sort of right down the street from where I live. And we've got a plan with a couple of developers right now where the city will maintain ownership over the property, but they're going to find a way to put in a lot of uh, kind of restaurants and retail, sort of small and medium sized businesses with local people, which is really exciting. And the guy, uh, the two guys, John Graham, and Lorenzo Perez, you know, John is sort of the guy who does a lot of the big development in the area. Lorenzo is sort of the visionary who does a lot of the design work. Uh, but I mean, that's gonna be a great thing from an economic development standpoint, because it will it will bring that old site back to life. It'll preserve the building. It will tell the story about what that building was all about for people who may be younger or who might've just moved to Tempe a lot more recently, but it will also activate the space. So it's not just an old building that's caught fire a couple of times, that it's actually something producing revenue for the city of Tempe and drawing people to the physical site. Right across the street from that is another building uh, called the Hayden House, which for a long time was a restaurant called uh, Monty's. Uh, their longtime owner, Michael Monty, is still the resident of the city of Tempe and is, is a friend of mine. Um, but they, they, they've wrapped the building with a lot of other uh, re you know, really cool office buildings. They brought in a lot of big name companies, uh, you know, McKinsey, Amazon, Deloitte. I mean, lots of high name, I mean, companies that anyone would know, frankly, not just nationally, but internationally. But that's also sort of activated that space uh, and it's bringing in a lot of commerce, a lot of a lot of semiconductor businesses, which is really, really big out here in Arizona now. Uh, another they just signed up another one 
And, I, and I've heard we're also going to get a hotel on that side as well that will also encourage a lot more business and leisure travel at the north end of Mill Avenue in the downtown. So so once again, that's that's it's preserving all of those old structures. So you're not just simply taking a wrecking ball to them and knocking them down. They are a huge part of our history and telling the story about how Tempe came to be and why we are the city that we are today. But it's also finding ways to add newer uses that are still relevant to the people living today that activate those sites, bring in much needed revenue, that pay for things like our police and firefighters and our human services and our sanitation work. That's the thing that gets lost sometimes too, because people, when you talk about economic development, there are people sometimes who will chastise you and say, oh, you know, you think that everything, you know, needs to be monetized and everything's about capitalism. And I'm like, no, it's not about that to me. It's about, frankly, how I pay the city workers that perform all of the services here in the city of Tempe. It's about growing and spreading out that tax base to make sure that there's enough money coming in from tourism and from retail shopping and restaurants and everything else that we can actually pay the people who do the jobs on the ground. And so, but historic preservation is a big part of that because I think if we can find ways to preserve a lot of these older buildings, but create kind of, you know, year 2023 uses, it'll not only preserve our history and tell a story, but it brings in a lot of much needed revenue to fund the services and the, and the workers that make Tempe such a great place to live and work. That's awesome. And Mr. Mayor, I just want to uh, ask you a quick question about capitalism, right? We talked about things aren't for capitalism, but wouldn't you agree that if you can create more jobs and you can, you know, kind of increase, um, you know, the 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 economy in, in your area, that a lot of the homelessness and the people that are in poverty, I was looking at some of the stats about some of the poverty rates. Do you feel like capitalism could help and, and job creation can kind of help some of these, you know, people that are down on their luck, like kind of get back into a flow and have a great, better quality of life? Well, I mean, I think I think that, you know, I mean, that is capitalism is our, is our system of government here, uh, here in this country. And I think that, you know, having access to uh, jobs, I mean, whether it's, you know, workforce training, job opportunities, um, you know, always. I mean, we try to do a lot of that in the city of Tempe. I mean, the fact of the matter is, if you can bring in um like, you know, current and emerging industries where there's clearly going to be a lot more job creation that gives people the access to. I mean, you don't want people going to school in your community, high school, college, graduate school or whatever it is, and then getting out of school and finding that there's no jobs for them. I mean, because I mean, then how are they going to find, you know, have enough money to, to rent an apartment or buy a right. home or provide for their families? Uh, so, I mean, frankly, not only does it provide does it provide you with the ability to. Uh, to put a roof over your own head. It also provides you with the ability to build some generational wealth. I mean, to have something that you can pass on to your children or to your grandchildren so they'll have the ability to have a better life themselves. I mean, we always talk about that. I mean, how we want our children and the people who come after us to have it easier or to have a better life than we had. Uh, and that's, I, I don't have any kids, but that's still my goal. I still want to, at some point, you know, I, whether it's to even even if I'm just passing on stuff to my younger brother when I'm gone, I'd like to be able to say, hey, I left him with something that will make his life a little bit easier. So so, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, that is the system of government that we have here. And I will say, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with making money. I mean, the fact of the matter is I, I think people should find I mean, we should all try to find ways to give back through, you know, volunteer work or nonprofit service or through your church or whatever kind of fits you. I think we should do that kind of and I, and I personally will only do things that comport with my own values and my own kind of system of ethics. I'm not saying that people should do things just for money. I mean, you have to find 
you know, search your own soul for what makes you tick and what makes you feel happy and fulfilled. But at the end of the day, if you do a job and you're able to make money doing that job because you're good at it or there's a high demand for it, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's, it allows you to take care of the people around you and hopefully pass something down to the people who come after you. Well, you see this big war on on big businesses, right? It's it's in the last three years. It's always been about big businesses are bad, and you see, you know, it's like this this war about you know these businesses that are you know uh, very money making, revenue generating, and it's it, it's like they're almost pitting us against them. And then maybe that's just the way the news cycle spins it. But you mentioned Deloitte and a bunch of semiconductor companies that are coming into Tempe, which is going to be good because it's going to provide jobs for people. And I, I think, you know, one thing that's refreshing to hear, especially, you know, being a, a democratic is that capitalism is a good thing because capitalism is, is the foundation of our country. It, it pretty much is the premise of the American dream. And I want to just ask you a question about, you know, jobs right now. I mean, right now there's like 9 million jobs that are available, right? According to the U.S. Bureau of uh, Labor and Statistics, right? 9 million jobs, only 5 million are in the workforce, right? Mm -hmm. Tempe, Tempe probably averages around like 6% of unemployment rate. Was it about 6% about unemployment is probably what you have going on in Tempe? Might, might be. I'm not sure. I haven't seen the numbers recently, but we might be there. Okay. So. Okay. What, what are you, what initiatives have you been developing um, in the city of Tempe? Like you mentioned about the police officers, maybe, you know, taking care of them and increasing their pay. And, and even with the median income, you know, to live in Tempe is probably around like 75, 80 K like, or, or maybe that was yeah. with a master's degree. So what have you been doing? And I'm sorry to go all over the place here. Um, that's what happens when I have a cup of coffee number two on, on the <laughs> podcast. What, what, what economic initiatives have you been doing to kind of increase the pay for people and to create jobs? Well, one, one thing I, I was going to ask, I was going to touch upon too, in the first part of your statement, and, I, and I'll go back to it. Um, you talked about, you know, kind of big businesses and, you know, I mean, my perspective is you need all of them. Um, I mean, I mean, when I, when I, I'm, I'm very big about, you know, shopping local and supporting our small and medium sized businesses, because I know these people, I mean, I know them, I know their families, I know their children. And, and one of the nice things about shopping local is, you know, exactly where the money is going. Like, you know, it's like, cause sometimes like this happens. I mean, people go to a big box retailer and then they find out that they're donating to a political candidate or an issue that they don't like, whatever side people happen to be on. And then they get very frustrated because they didn't know that that company was involved in that. One of the nice things about shopping local is that you know exactly where the money is going and it's, and it's staying in the community. And, and, and so I, and so, and I would also say, that the overwhelming majority of the jobs that are created in the city of Tempe are created through small and medium-sized businesses. So my hat's off to people who do that kind of work because frankly, I don't, I've had people tell me that I should be an entrepreneur and do it, but I, I don't, I don't have the courage yet to do it. I like the fact that I've got jobs where, you know, I get the paycheck every other week, you know, like clockwork so I can count on that money. Uh, so I, I have a huge amount of respect for people who are entrepreneurs and small business owners who've said, you know what, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to forego the stability of having a job where I get paid every other week or cash out my 401k to invest into my business because I think I've got an idea or a product or a service that can change the world and put food on the table for me. Um, so I, so I'm, but, but at the same time, you know, I, I shop local 
whenever I can. And that's, I would say the majority of the time I'm, I'm in local retailers in Tempe or Phoenix spending my money, but I'm also, you know, at times, I mean, I'm wearing a pair of Nikes or I'm driving a Chrysler outside. So, I mean, there's some things where they're, they're going to be businesses or entities that are multi-million dollar or billionaire companies or people who own them. And I mean, and there are some, and there are some things like where that's the only way you can get those products. And so, and, and, and so, I don't think I think we have to cut each other some slack and give each other some grace on things like that. I mean, I try I tell people shop local, support your local mom and pops as much as you can. I do it all the time. But there are sometimes like the, I'm wearing a pair of Rockport shoes right now. I mean, like those are you know, that's that's a large company. So but 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 to your second question regarding, um, you know, kind of what we're doing, I think that, you know, one, it's trying to make sure that we're a place where we are attracting uh, you know, kind of big name industries and things of that nature to our city and just to the general region. I also work with a lot of the other mayors and council members in a lot of our surrounding cities, Phoenix, Mesa, Scottsdale, Chandler, Gilbert, et cetera, trying to find a way, because I, I really, really do feel like a, a rising tide lifts all boats. But it's also making sure that people have the job training that they need to take those jobs of the present and the jobs of the future because we're finding some people now as we talked about blockbuster video earlier and about some of these industries that are that at one point were very big and very prevalent that are now kind of going by the wayside because things are changing so it's trying to find a way to make sure that we also are providing the job training or partnering with organizations that can help people who want training or they want to be retrained in a certain field to ensure that they have the skills necessary to take advantage of some of those high wage jobs and some of these emerging industries that are coming into Tempe and into our region. So I think that's what you have to do. I think you have to try to make sure that you are creating an environment that is, that's business friendly, where businesses want to relocate or want to expand their existing options. But then you have to make sure that people have the skills needed to actually take and accept those jobs. That's awesome. That, that's awesome. Um, <clears throat> Nurse High switch. School graduate. Oh, you're not Go kidding. New Rome. <laughs> but, but yeah. he's also a blockbuster alumni. That's so right. I mean, that, I sure that, am. That, that's huge, <laughs> Mr. Mayor. All about that blockbuster life. Uh, one thing that we love here at Power Man are, are our veterans and our military. And we notice you have uh, about 9,000 uh, veterans that are living in, in Tempe right now. About 8,000 are, are male, about 1,000 are female. Um, what, do you, what policies or what, what are, is there anything you're doing on a local level to, to help these veterans that, like, you know, fight for us to have this conversation? Any, like, policies or are there anything that initiatives that you do to help our veterans? We actually, inside uh, the city of Tempe, we actually have a veterans coordinator who actually is on oh, the third awesome. floor, right down the street, right down the hall from my office. I mean, uh, Abe is pretty much probably 10 steps from my office. And so that was actually an initiative by one of our former council members, Robert Arredondo Savage, who was an Army veteran. And before she left council, she had done a lot of work at really bringing veterans issues to the forefront in the city of Tempe. And one of the things that she said before she left is, I really would like to have a position here that's full time uh, that so even after I'm gone, that the veterans issues are not going to be just forgotten because sometimes that happens. You know, you, you have a council member or a mayor who's passionate about something, but that person eventually leaves yes. and then yes. the issue kind of gets dropped because there's no champion inside City Hall to fight for it. And so that was one of the things that she really wanted. And so we approved that right before she left council. And I'm telling you, Abe, Abe McCann does a phenomenal job. I mean, 
uh, not only do I have great experiences with him, but more importantly, the people that he interacts with in the community, when I bump into them and people in that veterans community will say, God, you guys got a great guy up there doing great work. So, I mean, we have things like, you know, we've got uh, certain things that are, you know, a, you know, Veterans Day Parade. We have a great pa pa uh, partnership with the uh, Pat Tillman Foundation at Arizona State University. Um, we have a lot of events like we have an event called Community Salutes. And Community Salutes is all about, frankly, recognizing the young men and women who are coming out of high school, but going into like ROTC and a lot of like, you know, the armed forces after college. And it's really to kind of to send them off saying, hey, the city of Tempe supports you and appreciates the fact that you're going into the armed forces. Um, it's but nice to hear a, that. It's really we, nice to hear that. We do a lot of really, really good stuff, but I give, but I give Council Member Arredondo Savage a lot of credit for that work. We also have a, a, a veteran supportive housing uh, development here in the city of Tempe that's uh, called Valor on 8th, and it was built by a national affordable housing developer called uh, Gorman and Company. Uh, and I'm very good friends with their CEO, Brian Swanton. He lives in Phoenix, but they did, um, we decided years ago, This I think the project was we approved it in 2016, uh, and myself and Councilmember Arredondo Savage worked on it. And it's basically 45 units of housing, of rental housing, that were originally designed for women veterans who had served our country in uniform, and then five live-work units on the ground floor. So for people who had businesses, but we wanted to kind of activate that streetscape so people could do some shopping or have a little hair salon or something of that nature or something else. Um, and also we wanted to make sure that for the, the veterans who would serve, that we had the direct connection to the Pat Tillman Center at ASU. So if you came back from serving overseas or were in the military, you had the ability to connect with the Pat Tillman Center to to get the services you needed or to go back to the university to finish your degree or to get an additional degree. So yeah, not only do we do a lot of work for veterans in this community, we have them very, we have that position that's a full-time position embedded at the top level of the organization. And I got interested in that work because you know my younger brother Brandon's an army veteran. And and so it was so I was sort of acting as like Councilmember Arredondo Savage's sidekick. She took the front row because she was the one who actually served. But I told her like, because my brother did this and served in Operation Iraqi Freedom, you know, and was gone for a year in Taji, Iraq, like it was something that was a passion of mine too. And I just wanted to help out whatever way I could. God bless Mr. Mayor. God, I have one more question, Greg, and then I'll turn it over to you. I'm sorry I've been taking up so much uh, time here, but, um, um, you you had some great programs like iHealth, which is a faith-based kind of habitat for humanity and the Municipal Equity Index. And you were able to drive a wastewater surveillance um, um, methodology of, of tracking COVID rates during COVID. How did you come up with these programs? So interesting, um, the wastewater program was, I was really spearheaded by some council members before me. Uh, well, council member Joel Navarro, who's still on council with me, uh, who's, a, who's a firefighter, who's an assistant fire chief in the city of Phoenix uh, and, a, and a paramedic as well. And, uh, but also our city manager who I mentioned earlier, Rosen Chowsty, the, pro the wastewater program actually started, it was actually about tracking opioid use in the community. They were trying to figure out where there were hot spots, where there were a lot, where like, so we needed to like surge resources into certain areas if we realized that there was an opioid problem. And then when the pandemic came along with COVID, it the program pivoted to basically use that wastewater data to say, hey, where are we finding that like, there are higher levels of COVID um, infection in other places so we could find a way to like bring 
you know, mobile clinics to people's neighborhoods or like, or just do more of an investment in those areas to help people out. So that interesting, but yeah, that wastewater program was actually started. It was, it was to track opioids, but then it was, it was pivoted very successfully during COVID. And, and the nice thing about it was because I mean, obviously it became a real kind of hot potato issue during the pandemic about what measures should cities be taking to prevent the spread. Some people wanted you to do more. Some people wanted you to do a lot less. But the nice thing was we actually had like local data in our city, in any of our zip codes to say the actions we are taking from a public policy standpoint are based on local data that we have as a result of this wastewater testing, which is highly scientific. It wasn't like we were so because otherwise people would say, oh, well, you're just listening to what you hear coming back from Washington, D.C. or whatever. It was like, no, like we can see in your zip code that there's been a real spike in the last two, three weeks and we need to find a way to get additional resources to help the people in our city. It's not based on federal or state data or county data. It's based on our data. And so that was really, really helpful in terms of dealing with a lot of the, the stress and the tension that really kind of surrounded the pandemic. Um, but there was something else. You, oh, oh, the IELT program. I so help, the yeah. IELT program is the uh, Interfaith Housing and Emergency Lodging Program, which is actually run by Tempe Community Action Agency, which is our nonprofit services provider here in the city of Tempe. They do a lot of incredible work, whether it's, you know, working with people who are unhoused, uh, people who need rent or utility assistance. Um, they do they do fantastic work. I mean, Deborah Artiaga, who's their CEO uh, and their board, uh, they're, they're phenomenal people. But they started that program in Tempe, and it was basically a collaborative partnership with a lot of our faith community of saying, would you be willing to open up your church to have people come and sleep overnight? And so what they would do is they would like, let's say, open up a gym or a multi-purpose room. People would bring in like sleeping bags and then you would get a group of residents, the board sometimes, or like some of the, the, the congregation at the church or just volunteers. And they would come in and they would do home cooked meals and serve them to people who were, who were sleeping on the street. And then, and then basically it was a, it's a rotating shelter. So it might be it. At this church, at, a, at the Lutheran church one night, then it's at the Methodist church the next day, then it's at the, the Baptist church and the Episcopalian church the next day. So it, so it didn't put too much of a burden on any one congregation to do all of the heavy lifting. It really meant that it was spread out across the community. And so, yeah, that program has been very successful and it's been replicated by several other communities because it's been so successful. It's a great partnership between like nonprofits, the faith community and, and government. So, um, so I think it's phenomenal. So, yeah. That's that's great. And just real quick, the municipal, the, the municipal equity index. Yes, um, that was a program. So that was actually, that index was started by the uh, Human Rights Campaign, which is a you know nationally recognized like LGBTQ advocacy group. And so we did, um, that was something that we did back in 2014. And I was really kind of instrumental in uh, helping to rewrite that policy along with a couple of other council members. And it was really because we got, they, uh, so HRC did the index and they said, you know, the city of Tempe out of 100% being like a perfect score had like a 70 or 72%. And we looked at it and said, well, look, how can we make sure that we are a truly diverse, inclusive, welcoming community who, to all who want to live here? And we're like, God, we're Tempe. We're a very innovative, forward-thinking community. There's no reason why we shouldn't be able to do better on this index and make this a more welcoming environment. And, and so we actually started looking at the index 
and making certain changes to city policy. Uh, and, and ever since then, we've gotten 100% on that index for like seven or eight years running. And we actually, um, so interestingly too, when we wrote the policy, uh, it actually was written first and foremost to be a policy of protection for the LGBTQ community. But we also, as we were writing this sort of non-discrimination ordinance, we also added military veterans into that, into those protections. And so that passed the council unanimously. And then in 2015, it was actually approved by our voters to go into our city charter, which is basically our constitution. So it, it basically, it, it, it would take an act of God to change that. And the beautiful thing about that is, as I, as I talked about with council member Arredondo Savage, it's that whether I'm around or not, that policy is now enshrined in basically what is our city's constitution, and it's not going to be there. The LGBTQ community and our military veterans are always going to have those protections in the city of Tempe. Can't hate on that. <clears throat> definitely can't. De definitely not. Greg, Greggy T? Yeah, we'll wrap things up um, in a bit, but I wanted to know your, your opinion on the current state of politics in Washington, as well as the level of corruption that you see in your opinion. I know it's a delicate question, but, you know, answer it as best you can. So, I mean, state of politics generally, um, I mean, stuff still gets done, but I think people get tired of the infighting they see many times. I think they just, I think, you know, we elect people to accomplish things on our behalf. And I, I'm fortunate that I get a chance to work with some phenomenal uh people in congress here i mean i, I mean you know i think about i mean I, I i can name drop all of them but i but i but i won't right now but i mean but you know phenomenal people but i think what people mostly want to see from the american public is people having the ability to set their differences aside and work together for the betterment of the people the problem is i think though is that the country is so polarized right now and people of all kind of just not the politicians even but I think the politicians in some sense are like representative of the res of the residents. The residents many times are very polarized on two very opposite sides of the fence. And as a politician, you many times are not incentivized anymore to cross the aisle and try to work things out. Like you, you get to a place where like the residents, they want you to stay in your corner with like your people. And when you say like, hey, I walked across the aisle to talk to this person to see if we can work <laughs> something out, People get upset with you. It's like, well, why are you capitulating to the enemy? And, and, and for me, I just think we have to get back to a place where compromise isn't a dirty word anymore, where we can basically say, look, that no political party, no group of people have any monopoly on the truth or any monopoly on good ideas. Everyone has some good ideas, and we'd be better if we were working together and sharing some of those ideas to get to a reasonable middle ground and to find a way to move things forward on behalf of the American people. But I think that's the problem. I think the politicians... <laughs> are only being elected and they are representative of the people who are putting them there. And, 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 I, and, I, and I just think there's, I think we gotta find a way to get us back to a place where we're able to compromise and where people are able to agree to disagree without being hostile to one another. So I guess that kind of answers the first part of your question. Yeah. Um, the, cor the corruption thing, um, you know, I don't think, you know, I, I mean, I'll say this. I mean, are there people in politics, whatever, who do some things that they're not supposed to do? Sure. But I think there are people in every profession who do things that they're not supposed to do. In any profession where you have a lot of people, you're going to get some you're going to get some folks who are doing things that they shouldn't be involved with. But I will say this for my working in politics. 
Um, you know, most of the people that I come across, the overwhelming majority are just good, honest people who are trying to do a job. They're trying to be actively engaged in public service. They're not making a lot of money. I mean, our, our state legislators make $24,000 a year. Um, you know, I mean, and, I mean, as, as council members, we don't make much more than they do. We make a little bit more, and that varies from city to city. So it really is public service because all these people, for the most part, they're either retired, have other jobs, or they're possibly independently wealthy. Um, but I would say I, I haven't seen, I have not seen in my line of work, like, le you know, a level of corruption that would make me say, like, oh, my God, like, this is, this is like off the charts crazy. Um, I, I, it actually, actually, it really surprises me when I see someone that does something that's really over that line. But uh, so no, I don't think politics is, I don't think politics is corrupt. And I don't, and I don't think that, but I think that any profession where you get hundreds, thousands of people in them, you're going to get some people every now and then who are doing stuff that they shouldn't be doing. Like taking candy from Blockbuster. Look, um, I don't remember that the same way you do. So <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly. I don't re actually, I forgot about it. I forgot about it. Um, term limits. Are you for them? Yes. Me too. Okay. That was a simple one. Easy. Um, yeah, that was easy. And then the, the last thing I want to touch upon is what's your opinion on, on school and um, what's being pumped out education wise, what we, what we hear and read and see on, on the news and social media with all the, the, the certain things they're trying to bring to our kids. And the second part of that is, um, have you guys done anything for, for school safety in regards to, you know, any of the mass shootings or, or some of the, the tragedies that we've seen? So I'll take the last question first. So on the okay. school safety side, you know, we've got, um, uh, we have uh, three school districts that are contained within the city of Tempe. Um, you know, they've got great superintendents, great governing boards. Uh, and I think they, they have created very, very safe environments for their students and their teachers and other faculty and staff. So, you know, my hat's off to them. It's obviously a very challenging time to be in K-12 education, but I think they do a great job. And the parents that I talk to uh, tell me that every day. So, uh, so I, I give them a lot of credit. And our school board members don't make anything. I mean, I could talk about what state legislators and what city council members make, but they make zero. They, they, they are school board members. You know, they, they run for four year terms and they don't make a dime of income doing it. So they are really doing it for the love of the teachers and the students and just for the educational system. So I give them a lot of credit. Um, you know, when it comes to um, to just the academics in general, mm -hmm. the you know, my, my general my general sense is that. You know, I think the state of public education is good. Um, my, my worry, you know, sometimes this is where I'll get a lot more political, but like, I, you know, I, I think that some of what gets played up in the media isn't what it really is. I mean, I, I know as an example, um, you know, like there's a lot of talk about like critical race theory and things of that nature, but critical race theory isn't taught in K-12 schools. I think it's become like a talking point, honestly. I mean, we don't, I work for a K-12 school district. We don't, teach critical race theory. I actually took a critical race theory class in graduate school, interestingly enough. I, I didn't remember it until it became a really big deal in the media. And I'm like, wait a minute, I actually took that class like my, my first year of grad school at ASU in the College of Education at that time. But I, I would say, but I, I think what I really want is for us to be able to teach an accurate accounting of history and 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 to be able to have those conversations. What I don't like is people saying, well, we're not going to teach this because 
it makes a, one group look better or worse. It's like, if that's what happened, then that's what happened. And we all need to be able to have that conversation. Uh, I have to deal with a lot of uncomfortable realities every day about, you know, you talked about, you know, corruption in politics. I mean, whether, you know, I mean, I may say that from my perspective, politics isn't corrupt, but there are a lot of people who feel that it is. And so I have to deal with that reality of, of sometimes people's perceptions of, of, of my profession when I'm having conversations with them. And I can't shy away from that. Um, and, and so I know people can be skeptical. Um, but I would say that I think what I'm mainly clamoring for is for people to be able just to teach an accurate accounting of history and what happened. And I think we have to understand that sometimes some of these truths are going to be uncomfortable. Um, and we're all and, and, and nothing is perfect. I think that's the other thing It's that we're going to have to constantly strive for continuous improvement. And as we learn more and find out more, we're going to have to keep updating the curriculum and changing things. But we're never going to stop updating curriculum because we're always going to find something out new. And, you know, I just think that's how it is. I mean, but honestly, uh, it's a challenging. I mean, K-12 education is a challenging, challenging field to be in right now, especially with a lot of the, the fighting that's going on. <clears throat> I appreciate that. Um, I know you're extremely busy, so we're going to start wrapping things up here. I do want to say, number one, I'll check my mailbox for the key to the city. I'll check okay, it every day. You got it. <laughs> All right. Number two, um, I want a ride on Air Force One when the time is right. I'm not kidding. Me I'm gonna too. I'm going to hold you to that. So I, I want that phone call when you're president. And you heard it here. And I just want to know, what do you? What does Corey have his eyes eyes on what's next for you what do you what are your ambitions you know i don't um you know right now i'm running for re-election as mayor i'm back on the ballot this coming march 12th of 2024 so i'm very actively in campaign mode um i've got a, a little campaign fundraiser neighborhood event uh, this evening um and so you know that's that's really what i'm working on right now is just trying to get reelected. and if i manage to get reelected, and the people will have me that will take me all the way through july of 2028 and uh, after that, though, I'm not sure. Um, you know, we actually don't have term limits in the city of Tempe, but I've, I've told people I'm only doing two terms and I'm done. And, you know, they can find someone else, but I'd like to then either, you know, find something else in the political arena or perhaps something in the private sector or the nonprofit sector to go do. But just, you know, I want to, I want to, whatever it is, I want it to be my passion. Uh, I don't want to be in politics just for the sake of being in politics. Uh, if there's something else that I can do from an elected standpoint that's a higher up office and there's a good opportunity, I would certainly look at it. But at the same time, I'm also not locking myself into it. If, if there's another opportunity that comes along and someone says, hey, you, you can you know, go work in the affordable housing industry or do something really good in the education space. Um, you know, I, I would I would want to do that, too. I'd, I'd want to keep all those options on the table. So I guess the answer is we'll see. Awesome. Mr. Great answer. Um, Mr. Mayor, real quick. Go ahead, I'm Mike. sorry. I'm sorry, Greg. <laughs> Mr. Mayor, real quick. I swear I'll be done after this. Tempe's in Maricopa County. And yep. we know you mentioned the word elected a lot. And uh, the elections have been kind of under scrutiny lately. What policies or, or anything that you're going to do to try to secure that the elections are fair? I mean, there's been a, a lot of, um, you know, uh, suspect around your gubernatorial uh you know, election that you just had recently and, you know, that with the voting machines that had some challenges and with Tempe being in Maricopa County and what, is there anything that you're doing in particular to, to make sure that these, um, our, our, our democracy is kind of safeguarded in Tempe? Sorry, just the last thing I wanted to ask. Sure. So, um, so I will say this, I, I think that the, 
the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, who's really the group that's overseen um, a lot of the more contentious elections over the last two, three years, I think they've done a great job. I think they've done from the county reporters to the supervisors, and they've done a great job despite getting a lot of flack from a lot of people. Um, you know, it, it, does everything go perfectly at all times? No. I mean, life is imperfect. We're human beings. Stuff sometimes doesn't go exactly as planned. But I would say they have done a phenomenal job. And I think the elections were, you know, were absolutely fair and were valid. And I think that I and I think that and I, and I feel bad for the people who are my friends on the county board of supervisors, four out of five of which are Republicans, who I think did a an absolutely phenomenal job of protecting our democracy and doing the right thing and frankly got torn apart uh, by a lot of people who I, I feel had no business actually attacking them. So I, I, I think they are they are I think they do a wonderful job over there at Maricopa County. And 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 I think and I also think that we do an exceptional job in the state of Arizona. We were one of the first states that did mail in voting. And I think it's one of the things that we are very, very good at. Um, you know, my, myself and our previous governor, Doug Ducey, uh, we didn't agree on a whole bunch of things. But the one thing what one thing we did agree on, frankly, was when he was sort of defending the Arizona election system and saying, look, we are very good at this mail in balloting thing. And I think it provides people with a lot of choices, um, you know, to be able to either go to the polls, if that's what you want to do, if you're more comfortable voting in person, you can do that. Or if you have a mobility problem or you travel a lot for whatever reason, you have the ability to mail a ballot in. I mean, I'm actually through the Maricopa County system now, they actually tell you, you get a text message and an email when your ballot gets mailed out when you actually send it back and they, when they've received it and when they've actually verified your signature and counted it. I mean, they literally track the ballots so you know exactly where things are. And so I think those are really cool technological innovations that should give people a lot more confidence in our electoral system and our system of voting. But I understand like, you know, there's been a lot of talk around it the last couple of years, but I, but I can't give, I, I, I can't say uh, anything but amazing things about the people at the state and frankly Maricopa County about how they've handled our elections and the integrity that I think that they have. Fair enough. <clears throat> Corey, give my best to the last Don. I want to make a shout out to little B, your brother. Tell him I say hello. Got nothing but love yep. for him. Good memories. And um, I just, I, I really want to uh, thank you for your time. I see you training a lot. Keep lifting the weights. You know, we love that here. I was, I was there this morning for our I first thing. Man. So. Yeah, man. <laughs> so I look forward to seeing you in person and, and really thank you so much for your time and um, go vote for Corey. And where can people go to find you? Uh, I would say you know, either go on the city's website, which is Tempe.gov, so Tempe.gov. Uh, I'm on pretty much every social media platform except for TikTok, so you can go find me there as well. Awesome. Awesome. Go vote for my boy, Corey. Thanks. Hey, uh, Greg, Mike, really, really great. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity. Greg, so good to see you again. We'll have to Absolutely. try to figure out a way to do it in person. And Mike, uh, just pleasure meeting you. Appreciate the questions pleasure. and appreciate you letting me do the show today. Mayor Woods, it's been an honor. Thank you so much for taking the time to answer our questions and uh, for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us this morning. Thank you very much. God bless you, you. and the city of Tempe. Good luck, you Corey. Too. Take care. All right. Thank you. <laughs>